chance of celebrating one year of the Vinyl Community Podcast from how to care for records, curating a collection, vinyl reviews, upcoming releases, and an interview series which he hosts. Congratulations and thank you for bringing a network of podcasts that amounts to a masterclass in all things vinyl. Just fantastic stuff. One year of the Vinyl Community Podcast and well over 100 episodes. How does that feel to hear that? It's pretty wild. Uh, you know, when when I was thinking of this concept and, and even when I reached out to the folks I wanted to partner with on it from the jump, I, 100, I, I, I was just looking to do one. We were just looking to do one a week. And I think we were a little ambitious. And I, actually, when I say we, I meant me. And that, that first week, we just, we had a lot of programming. We had, I think, three shows. But then the next week, we followed up with two. And so, you know, if I would have done some bebop boobop, I'm sure 100 would have come out. But at the time, it was just like, let's just, you know, I felt there was a, a mass need in the community for it. We can probably get into that. But it was more of about, hey, we got stuff. Here it is. See what you like. And then, yeah, the 100 kind of just snuck up on us real quick. And, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, to be honest with you. It's, it's been a lot of work. Uh, there are times that, uh, you know, you do have to go uh, check people's homework. <laughs> and that's where you so it's been a crash course and, and, and a lot of things. And it's very similar to the YouTube journey. You know, you're learning a lot of different new skills and, and a lot of different things that when you kind of go into it, eyes closed, eyes wide open, however you want to say it, you don't really think about it until you're literally in the minutia and you're like, oh, is there a better way to sound better with a mic? You know, is there a, is there a better way to make sure that you keep a certain time, uh, you know, marker and, and take notes. And so everything is continuous improvement, right? I know it's a big uh, white collar thing and, and the workforce continuous improvement, but it's true. And, and, and anything that you invest your time in, you should always want to try to do your best, right? Well, I was going to say, when was the moment if you, you said you really just kind of wanted to get one out there and just kind of see where it went? Was there a time where you know, the podcast became what it is now, where in your mind you were sort of like, oh, I get this. Like, this is kind of a collaboration where I can have all of these different um, personalities out there sharing the information and just kind of make it this aggregate, which I think is an, um, an awesome idea, by the way. Was there a moment where you kind of said, okay, wow, we can do this and, and actually get like five or six others from the community in here to share with this? No, it's, it's a great question because like a lot of folks, I could have probably just did my own podcast or do my own podcast, concert buddy podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the genesis of the, the concept was really rooted in why, well, a couple of things. One, how come there's not more consistent podcasts? I want to lean out on that word consistent because there's, there's podcasts that talk about vinyl. There's the vinyl guide uh, from the fellow down in Australia. There's the record store day podcast by Paul Myers, who's Mike Myers brother. So there's, there's, so there's content out there. But the thing is, is it's maybe once a month, sometimes twice a month, right? And and other people in the community have also tried to go the podcast route. Noble Records, Dylan, he had one. I think it was my record biography or something like that. And and Matt Kessler, too many records, he did it too. But again, the consistency thing is the thing that kind of I noticed was because you're like, oh, this is really good information I'm learning or I'm listening to some really cool stories or what have you. And then you'd have to wait another month. Or sometimes longer, because obviously those two guys who I, I mentioned there, they have shops, they've got YouTube, they got a lot of other things. And not to say that uh, I think Nate is his name at the Vinyl Guide or Paul Myers aren't busy too. It's just 
I felt there was an insatiable appetite, at least for me, right? I mean, that's really where the, the, the origins of this whole project came from was I want to hear more about people talking about records. And it just kind of coincided with the YouTube piece, which I just had started, which I had been watching for a long time from other folks. And then I was kind of seeing you know, some live streams that I started picking up on. Rachel's Ghost was one. Uh, there are several other ones. PB Thal, Patrick, the vinyl archivist, runs a different one. And they're all kind of unique in their own way. But I wanted to take that and I wanted I didn't want to be confined to staying behind the screen. Does that make sense? Like, I didn't want to feel like YouTube, it's great. And yeah, you can watch YouTube on your phone and put your head down. You can watch it on a plane. You can take it with you, I guess. But I already kind of like the audio only piece of podcast, especially like if I'm on the run or if I'm in the car or what have you. And so it was more of there was this absence of something I was looking for. Is there a way to do it? And is there a way to do it that it's not just me talking? Like if, if you want to listen to Concert Buddy, watch my YouTube channel or just listen to my episodes. But there was folks that I had fortunately befriended in the community who I thought I was learning things from, who I thought others could learn things from. Jazz Bums is a perfect example. Like I don't know anything about jazz, or at least I didn't. And so I felt like I could go kind of go on that journey and pick up a little nuggets here david bianco safe and sound texas audio excursion i mean he used to work in radio back in the day and and he's got a lot of kind of like gear like he's very gear focused in a lot of ways he also has some kind of unique takes on and he's got connections you know within the kind of manufacturing space which kind of speaks to me in my private life and then there are some other folks who you know at the jump we we i thought they were going to come with us and they didn't right so there was there was a lot of start stop start stop but it was more than anything else was consistency and how can we do something at least once a week? I figured if we had an assembly as like the Avengers, if we had an assembly of folks, it shouldn't be as hard of a lift to push out one show a week. Now, like I said, we got a little ambitious from jump street and we just, we kind of started three and then two, two, two. And then we've been at two ever since, which has been great because if you think about the the amount of people that we had, it really was only going to be, Hey, I just need a show once a month from you. And a lot of times I'm, I'm telling on ourselves. a lot of times it's stuff that comes directly from our YouTube channels. It could be a live stream. It could be a, a comparison about certain pressings. It could be a lot of different things. So the theory was, it was just taking some of the content that we are already doing and, and taking it off platform and taking it where it's more mobile, it's more accessible. I know some people, and I'm one of them, who listen to podcasts as they kind of wind down the day and go to sleep and that sort of thing. It's a lot easier, especially, I'm sure you've seen this, Jason, about all the data about watching TV at night and even screens, even screens at night, right? So this was kind of another way of being like, hey, I still want to learn. I still want to hear things. I still want to kind of be close to whatever I can in the hobby. But man, I just don't want to be trapped behind a screen because it felt like kind of like you're stuck. That makes sense. I totally get it. And I get to what you said. I see myself doing that um, with my own podcast, which I started out very ambitious. But when you have content that you can repurpose, I almost find myself in some cases saying, okay, this video would make a great podcast. So don't censor yourself in a way that it doesn't just confine you to the space of YouTube in that maybe don't make it as visual. Don't comment on things that people can't see and really make it more presentable for an audio, um, an audio audience. Also, I see th- there is a big theme here, which I want to get into later, which is the theme of community, which I think is a big thing with your podcast. And uh, I think actually extends to other parts of your brand. So I want to get into that and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Do you remember, so this all comes down to vinyl and kind of our history with vinyl. Everyone gets exposed to vinyl in different ways. 
what, when was the moment that you fell in love with vinyl? Is this something that I think a lot of people that gets passed down from their parents, things like that. Is that your experience? 110%. I, uh, I think my first contact with the format was my mom. Had, I mean, that's how she listened to music when I was coming up. She so many 45s. She was like big into singles. She did. She had some LPs, but I just remember her just constantly like changing to 45s, putting them on while she's cooking she's cleaning. She's dancing around. I'm sorry to tell on your mom, but you know, like just really enjoying music. So it had a positive emotive experience and it also had a physical manifestation of, I put this on noise comes out of it when I add the needle and here comes good feelings. Right. Um, and so then, you know, as I kind of was getting a little, you know, older and so and again, very young, then I started noticing the artwork of the jackets, right? Like I started like uh, Huey Lewis and the News, which I'm probably talking about multiple times here. It was one of those albums. The artwork just really grabbed me. The music grabbed me, but then the artwork really drove home because, yeah, it's just some guys in the pool hall. But those guys look pretty cool to me, you know what I mean? And, and who knows what kind of trouble they're going to get in. Or or Queen, News of the World, right? Where, you know, if you open up the gatefold, there's the robot with blood on his fingers. And you're like, well, and people screaming in terror, you know, as you're kind of a, a young person or a young kid. And kind of like in the horror movies in the 80s and all that kind of stuff, you're like, whoa, this is so wild. But yet the music, <laughs> didn't, you know, it wasn't like that ominous kind of Jojo Maroder kind of synth music it was queen it was rocking and and so you're like why is this and so it, so i opened up a lot of questions but also very emotive and so it's really know. funny that you mentioned that too is because i think music can be very visual when you're young you know i see record covers like kiss i didn't know anything about their music i didn't care all i knew is here was a bunch of guys with fire blood <laughs> yeah. face paint it was halloween all over again and didn't have a lot to do with the music but it was just that visual aspect of it that was so cool. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- and, and I think that just kind of added to the thing. Like, if you think about and, and not to jump all around here, but especially as you're getting older and your journey with physical media and, and, and music in particular, CDs were nice. CDs were also convenient. Like, you remember those visors you could have over your car thing? And, you know, so you could have a ton, MP3s, you could have a ton. So, in terms of storage and taking a lot with you, it became more mobile. That was great. But what was missing, I found, was the tactile, and that's kind of what brought me back to the to the medium in a lot of ways, was having the experience of having that artwork, having that touch point, right? Like, I think touch points are something that's super important in any kind of uh, collective or any kind of, like, hobby. And then you can turn that touch point into music, which then becomes emotive, which then becomes, you know, like, what does this mean to you? Because I think everyone's experience with music can be different and varied and, and, and different uh, triggers and different kind of emotional state of mind or are places you were. I think that's one of the great things about uh, media is, is movies, music, even video games to a certain extent. You know, you just remember kids, the kids of the eighties playing Nintendo on those tube TVs late at night, you're drinking the soda, you're hanging with your buddies and, you know, positive, positive things. Now that's not to say that these experiences don't have, you know, sad or negative connotations, but I think the emotive part is, is really what kind of at least, latched me in, hooked me in, and then has kind of kept me in. Even though I went through a vinyl desert, you know, in my teens, 20s, and even I think early 30s until I got back into uh, really amassing vinyl collection. Did you, back in those days, did your parents let you pick out a record? Did you feel compelled to ask for them for Christmas, for example? No. So, so you know, I'm going to tell my mom a little bit. She didn't exactly keep great care of her records. like, And that's a good thing. Like, if you think about the 70s even the 60s like music was house party music and so you know there was this like stacks of records like as a collector you're like ah it's like cringe because you see you know just 
naked records right on top of each other stacked. That's because people were enjoying the music. It wasn't about collecting it. It wasn't about, you know, the seam splits. It wasn't any of this kind of nuanced stuff that we talk about in the hobby now, but it was just about enjoying the music. And, and yeah, it was, you know, I enjoyed it. Well, plus I was, you know, I probably wasn't nuanced enough to know where exactly to put the needle, putting it on a 45. And I definitely, if my mom wasn't good about putting them away, I surely was not good about putting them away. And so those big stacks I was talking about was probably my, my, big failure there but no I, I remember i didn't really ask for music of my own because my mom had really you know cool music i thought to me you know like i said queen he would listen to news even like my mom was the first one that had uh new kids on the block hanging tough on a 45 which which you know they came when they came of age this is like 87 88 and here's my mom with the 45 introducing me to that music who all the girls you know are like to t-shirts anyway so, so in that sense like my mom i think had pretty good taste uh, for me, the only record I remember, there's only one record, and it was like, I think we were at like a flea market or antique mall or something, and it was He-Man. It was some kind of spoken word He-Man album or Transformers, one of those two. Those were like two of my favorite things coming up, and I asked for it, and then, you know, it was like 50 cents or whatever. So I'm like, sure, and then I think I ended up breaking it or losing it. You know what I mean? So it was just the idea of, oh, cool, I can get this cartoon that I really enjoy on a record, and it's something that's different than what I'm watching on TV, like sign me up. I just thought it was cool that they, it was again, multi-platform because you know, you had the toys, you had the TV and it was on a record like dope. Such great marketing back then. Cause I remember that as well when I was young, you know, I had the, one of the first things I remember having was the star Wars soundtrack, you know, the double LP, which I wore out, but I had my own little turntable that my parents bought me when I was probably like five years old. And I would get all those record little 45 record with a booklet you know and it would be like star trek or something like that and yeah it's just it's funny how you can introduce young people to vinyl that way i wonder if that's and of course we live in a different age now but i wonder if that's something that's missing today you know with young kids our parents buying their kids and are do they even have access to stuff like that you know those little show on a book or or on a record you know kind of thing yeah, I think technology has kind of displaced uh, the younger generations from that. Just a couple of things, convenience and cost, because I think those things, I think, still probably do exist, but they just cost so much. Like if you wanted making it up, Thomas, the tank engine on a 45 or even an LP, I'm sure they're out there. I've never looked, but I'm sure they're out there. But I can guarantee you they're not as inexpensive as just buying a $3.99 DVD. You know what I mean? So my mom or dad barrier to entry is like yeah i'd like to you know kind of share the record experience but man four dollars versus fourteen dollars you know those kind of things add up and in the convenience piece because you know in the streaming age i've already got it in my pocket i've already got my 79th organ in my pocket and i can pull up pretty much any kind of music or any kind of thing i can think of or again i can pull up the movie or, you know what I mean? So I think the visual has definitely displaced a lot of the audio. I mean, even podcasts, I hate to say this, but podcasts are not exactly young people, you know, I'd say approved, but just, you know, it's, it's not exactly the preferred method of consumption when people can look at the video and, and to see that the actual visual representation. And, and, and that's also kind of circling back. I mean, that's what's kind of cool about Mono community podcasts is that a lot of this stuff being dual platform is that, I, I naturally thought that great. It's on a podcast. People are just going to migrate. It's probably going to probably I'll get less views on my videos, but that's okay. And matter of fact, particularly like the live streams or the interviews I've done, I've been pleasantly surprised that there are people who would reach out privately. Hey, I'm really glad you keep these on YouTube because I enjoy watching these. I enjoy seeing them. 
And that really kind of took me back because I just naturally figured, you know, who wants to watch me talk to, you know, Joe Schmo? It's just like an add-on. That's why I always call it the video companion to these talks. But the reality is some people really enjoy looking at my goofy face or hearing, you know I mean? Putting a face behind or obviously listening to it and not seeing versus listening to it and seeing, and you can see people emote, project, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. Everybody consumes their media a little bit differently. And like you said, one is for the visual aspect and one is, you know, for uh, popping your AirPods and, and fall asleep to it. Something I've done many times. Um, so w- when was the moment then that you sort of, uh, we know when you were exposed to records, the experience you got, you know, from your mom collecting these things, was there a record or a band or something that kind of stands out to you that sort of really changed everything? And w- when the moment you kind of said, wow, this is for me, I want to start collecting this stuff, something that kind of steered you as a music enthusiast and a vinyl, vinyl collector. Do you remember that moment? So it's, it, those are two separate things because, you know, when I was kind of coming of age, like developing my own musical taste, so you're talking like early nineties, vinyl was few and far between. Right. Um, so for that piece of it, the, 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 one of my, I guess it's fond in a sense, because, you know, obviously you're a teenager, there's a little, you know, it's a little rebellion. Like that's part of the whole teenage experience. Right. And literally the first two, I bought two at the same time, CDs, that I bought with my own money was, I think it was 1993. And that was Snoop Doggy Dog, Doggy Style and Nirvana and Utero. And I bought them at the best, like a local Best Buy, I took them home, put them on like this little boom box CD player thing I had. And I remember playing it and, 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 and I, you know, you're kind of wanting a little bit of approval from mom, like, Hey, I've got good taste too. And my mom loathed that song, Rape Me, <laughs> rightfully so. Nirvana, but like that instantly like made me feel cool because I'm like, oh sweet, she doesn't like this. Like I like the fact she's listening, but I really like the fact that she is like that is you know, and she's giving me the you know that's terrible, that's all this. She's totally right, but it just made it cool. It made music cooler to me because that was like the next step in that kind of evolution. And then you fast forward to vinyl, um, you know, it's probably 2009. You know, you would see it in kind of movies. It was more of kind of a niche thing, right, by that point. And the vinyl resurgence was kind of starting to kind of percolate behind the scenes. I think Record Store Day had started 2007, I think it was. So, you know, there are certain machinations. And I always thought it was a cool experience to go in the record store, even if I was just looking for CDs. Like, I have fond memories of, you know, when I was in college, we'd hop on the tram and and, and in the afternoon, it's kind of, you know, because in between classes, you're like, oh, great, I've got freedom, right, you know. Go, let's go to the record store. And you know, while you're looking for CDs, it's just always a very positive experience. So as you get older and, you know, CDs or CDs and get tired of replacing the jewel cases and they can easily get lost and all those sorts of things. Then you happen upon, and I don't know if it's an antique store or Goodwill or a yard sale, but then you start seeing those records and it's a call back to the past and those emotive, those positive memories that I was kind of talking about before. Oh, I can get Led Zeppelin one for a quarter. Cool. I can get Hewlett and a new sports for a nickel. Like so, the, the barrier to entry piece really played a big part because I remember going to a Goodwill at lunch one day, and I came back for ten dollars. I had like fifty records, and I don't even remember if I had a record player at that time. To be honest with you, Jason, I was just so like Michael Jackson, Thriller, Whitney Houston, like all these bangers, and I'm like, cool, fifty cents a piece, and they're in great shape. And so that was kind of like jump started. Those, a couple of those types of experiences jump started, but it was really because 
it was so inexpensive to build a collection and have a really cool collection coupled with that really great positive experience, that connective piece of the past. Um, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I, I feel sorry for in a lot of ways is the younger folks coming up is that they won't be able to have, I know people have been trying to spin the CDs as that new experience for younger people and, that, and that's true to a certain extent, but not the same as literally stacks and stacks of records for like next to nothing. And then you go on the exploration, you get a turntable and you get a system and then it's your own. And then you're like learning because, you know, coming up and maybe your experience was different. I didn't know anything about changing a needle. I didn't know anything about a stylus. I didn't know anything about right. amp. I just, just replaced the whole turntable. If, uh, yeah, if I was, yeah, yeah, I was just like, okay, turn. It was like caveman T- turntable record needle loud. You know, it was, it yeah. wasn't anything that there was nuance. So then now you're peeling back the, 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 the layers of the onion of discovery and you're, you know, and again, one thing I think we agree on this is that vinyl is a very intentional listening experience. Yeah. You could put it on and, and do other things around the house or, or whatnot, but you usually have to be present because then guess what? After a couple songs, whoosh, you got to flip it over. And so that's something that in such a fast paced world that we live in and with convenience and choice and all these things that are literally at our fingertips, to listen to vinyl, you literally have to sit yourself down or at least be still for a little bit just to get the process going. And then fortunately or hopefully, you're more sedentary and still to actually be present in the experience. There's two really interesting things that you touch on there too. That one is um, you know, buying albums without having a turntable, which I would I think is a common theme for a lot of people, whether people started out that way. I know for me when I went through spans where I didn't listen to vinyl because I was listening to whatever the latest technology was, CDs or MP3s or whatever, I always had some records still. And it was just something about having the tactile thing about it. I would keep my favorite ones, be able to look at the covers. And at some point it always became like a way to motivate me to get a turntable. It was sort of like, I'm going to buy a few records and then, you know, that'll be the, I'll get so excited about it. It'll push me to buy a turntable. That actually worked. Um, But another thing too, is the whole idea of nostalgia, which I think it seems to me is almost kind of a bad word. Sometimes I feel like sometimes feel people feel like it's a four letter word, letter word, like, um, somehow calling it nostalgia diminishes the music itself or something. Do you, do you ever get that sense? Like it feels like in the vinyl community, sometimes people try to avoid the word nostalgia. Yeah. I, I think because it, it connotates, I'm just going to say it old and no one wants to feel okay. old. No one wants to be reminded of, of their, their mortality. Uh, while there's positive experiences thinking back to the first time you heard that music and, and what you were doing and the positive experiences behind it. Yeah. No one wants to be reminded of, yeah, I weigh a little bit more than I used to. I don't have as great a head of hair as a, you know what I mean? And and so that's, so while it's a positive callback, it's also a reminder of the distance between when you first heard that and when you're hearing it now and, you know, kind of weighing those kind of different feelings. Now I will say I I have to kind of rewind back a little bit because as I'm kind of telling this story and kind of, you know, answering your questions, I did kind of have a, a brief little moment where I flirted getting back into vinyl in like the 2003, four, five time when I would go on eBay and I was just using, and I'm telling on myself, I would buy records just as decorations. Like they had those frames, right? Last frames. And so again, a positive experience. The artwork was just so cool. Like, uh, you know, uh, purple rain, uh, Prince, you know what I mean? Like that album was when Billy Idol, like, so I started buying for like, I don't know, $2 shipped <laughs> on eBay. 
Um, but I had those records and I didn't even care what condition because it was about the artwork. So again, another like positive thing that that format offers because I wasn't trying to decorate my office or my bedroom with, you know, little uh, four by four <laughs> CD jackets. You know, right, and right, right. Twelve by twelve is much more visually appealing. The bigger, the better. Um, That's what she said. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and you did mention Huey Lewis in the news. We got our first Huey mention, and I just want to pull this out, man. Now you're going to have to pretend that this is a um, Japanese pressing. I got you a Japanese pressing, man. I ordered it, but because of the ice, it hasn't arrived yet. So, but no. hey, man. Here it is, dude. Do you have a Japanese pressing of this already? No, I don't. Actually, you know, it, Japanese pressings are kind of a blind spot for me. Okay. I, only, I think I only have two, and you're going to laugh. One of them I just picked up a few months ago, the Grease 2 soundtrack. Don't judge. Well, okay. It's, it's just a, a movie <laughs> from my past that I just really enjoyed the music, and I saw a Japanese pressing. So, no, I don't. I, that's actually a pressing I don't have of that album. I have so many. I've got multiple hype stickers, some sealed. I've got... It's sickness. It's a real sickness when it comes to that album. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we'll get into that, man. But this one's for you, dude. I'll send this your way. You're the man. So what is it about Huey Lewis, man? I, I love Huey Lewis, too. I mean, Huey Lewis, for me, goes back to the the moment that his stuff was coming out. I mean, sports is probably the big one. I loved Back to the Future. It was such a perfect marriage between his music and that film. And um, I wore that record out. I mean, so w- what is it? So this probably answers your question earlier about was there a moment you really got locked in and, you know, the heart of rock and roll, right? Which is, that was the first song that I could think of outside of like, we will rock you uh, with Queen, right? But the, it starts with a heartbeat and it starts slow and it's duh, 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 and it builds, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, hits you with that harmonica, which my dad played the harmonica. So then you have a personal connection to it. And, and so it's, it's, you know, it's just a, it's a great song. It's a positive song. It's talking about the positivity of rock and roll and it's all over there. I think there's a St. Louis shout out. So I'm like, Hey, I'm from St. Louis. So it hit all these kind of like bellwater marks that just made it cool. And exactly what you're talking about. That album just was just filled and is filled with hits. But then the extension of that is then you have the back to the future movie where he's actually one of the teachers, you know, the judges for the talent, uh, you know, show at the beginning. And so you're like, oh, that's Huey Lewis. Oh, wait, he's not playing here. He, he's not Huey Lewis, but it is Huey Lewis. And and uh, <laughs> so that was neat. But then the music, obviously, like that, that music is littered throughout the soundtrack and it's a great movie. And so, again, going back to those positive connections, you know, is this harder rock and roll? I thought it was the coolest song probably ever made. I'm like four or five. And it's right around the time. So then you have Michael Jackson coming, you know, like into the pop culture. He was already there, but for a kid like me, you have MTV. Now you have music in your home and you're seeing like Thriller and you're seeing all that kind of stuff. So Huey Lewis was like, I hate to say, uh, to borrow one of us, I want a new drug. It was the gateway drug to really start you know, on this path of music exploration, positive music, pop music, uh, music that made you want to move. Like I said, my mom would be dancing around the living room and all this kind of stuff. Um, so focusing back on, a good experience then. And then a call back two years later when I remember what those feelings were. I remember that positive experience. And plus, I mean, again, if you can find me a bad song on Huey Lewis and the new sports, I, I will call you a liar. A hundred percent, man. Um, 
So let's get back to the vinyl community stuff. So you're obviously very passionate about the community. At least I feel when I see you sort of operating in your live stream and things like that, I just, I get the sense that the the community aspect is very important to you. And so what is it that you love most about the social aspects of being involved in this community? No, I think it's important because, you know, you hear that term vinyl community. I'm using air quotes, of course, but you know, the vinyl community is much more expanse than people on YouTube. And I always try to throw that in when I can because the vinyl community is your local record show shop, your local record show. It's the, the people who, hell, you're buying records from them at uh, yard sales or out and about or at the Goodwill. You know, you're shoulder to shoulder and you see and somebody's like, oh, that's a cool album. And then they want to tell you a story about it. So vinyl community is way, way, way more expanse than just the YouTube situation. But Again, I could have, you know, the podcast and, and the feed could have been named a lot of different things. And it wasn't like I was trying to like leverage vinyl community as some kind of money making thing, because to be honest with you, we don't have advertisements. I've done a couple of live reads. I, I obviously have an affiliate situation with my friends over at Vinyl Storage Solutions. But as of now, and again, things can change. Like as of now, like the best thing about it, I've been told by others. And I think it is kind of part of the purpose is like there's no ads. It's just straight ahead. And, you know, it's stuff people can consume. But back to the community piece, you know, one thing that I noticed, because the vinyl community on YouTube in particular, it's like anywhere else. It's like any community. It's the video game community, the any kind of collectible community. It's segmented. There's folks who really lean in on certain types, genres, uh, Japanese pressings, what have you. And I was just looking for something that kind of was inclusive of people who, because there's a lot of people that don't know where to start. When it comes to collecting records, there's a lot of people who don't know how to find information outside of Google per se and have it be valuable information, have it be purposeful information and helpful information. And so the inclusivity piece was really important, but also the diversity piece, too, because stereotypically record collectors are traditionally older white dudes. I'm just going to say it because if if you were to mention to a non-record collector what does a vinyl record collector today look like? Probably going to say an older white guy. And I know that's not the case because I have several friends, uh, persons of color. I have uh, female record collectors that I know. So I think it's a lot more than that. And so it was really important to me, and especially the programming I'm involved with directly, is, is, is hearing those voices, those experiences, those questions, those backgrounds, those tastes, like musical tastes, right? Because I've learned a lot from people who necessarily aren't exactly the folks that I am you know, accustomed to sharing music with. And so the inclusivity piece and the diversity piece were like paramount for this project. And that wasn't a, a, an initial thing. It was more of, as I'm kind of standing up the concept, I wanted to take more people for writing. And again, that became more of, hey, you can just always put your own show once a week and it's probably can be fine. But let's get more people involved. Let's get more points of view involved. Let's get different experiences and let's get different perspectives involved in the content that we're putting out there. And, and that's not to say that the stuff that I put out, people download and listen to every week. Like I don't expect that. And, and same thing with my collaborators. I know when I listen to a podcast or, and even the podcast I listen to on a regular basis, I may not listen to every single show and that's okay. But at least the option's there. And the option is there to go back, particularly if somebody who's new to jazz, I'm using that as an example. They want to learn more about jazz. Guess what? On our feed, we've got a lot of jazz 
conversations from the jazz bombs, from yourself, from, from whoever, right? So there's a starting point. So it's also kind of like an encyclopedia of experience for folks who want to go down that well, because if you're like me, especially, especially YouTube is really bad about this is you kind of, you get on a topic and then next thing you know, seven hours have gone by because you've really done a deep dive, good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> My latest one is, is those Indian call centers who try to scam people. <laughs> And I guess the freedom force is trying to like scam them back or spam them back. Anyway, it's easy to do. And records for me, especially early, like five, seven, eight years ago, when I kind of started noticing this stuff on YouTube, that's what it was for me. I wanted to learn more. Where can I buy sleeves for my records? Who sleeves records? Uh, Why do you sleeve records? Uh, What kind of storage box are you using? People are using crates. Where do you find these? So all these kind of things, it was all about feeding that inquisition. And that's what I think our like project in a lot of ways will do because, and again, not that we're, we're subject matter experts in our own mind and our own orbit, but there are people out there that we brought in and we've done program with who really do know their stuff. And I think that's important because you don't want to sell somebody a bill of goods in that pretending to be something that you're not like, I'll never say I'm a gearhead, but you know, I know people who know their stuff and here they are. You know what I mean? I love the inclusive inclusivity part of it and aspect of it, because that's something that I think I really wanted to um, project in my work as well is just because it can feel a little bit like a club, right? It can feel a little bit inclusive sometimes, especially in the higher end market where people are talking about super high end audio file pressings or audio file gear. It can be a little bit um, of a barrier to entry, I think, for people just trying to explore it. So I do really love the aspect of uh, inclusivity that that you do bring. And, and not only with the podcast, but with uh, surface noise, your, your stream that you do um, every other week as well. And I think one of the things that makes those streams so interesting is that they are sort of an open invitation to so many members of this community. And sometimes you have, what, eight or nine participants and everyone is contributing, everyone's having fun, and that's very unique. Uh, was that open door collaborative aspect um, idea, was that your idea from the start or how did that develop? When did it get to the point where it really you felt like, wow, I can just invite people in and they can come in when they have time and, and contribute and that people are really showing up for you? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question because uh, I think it just goes back to like what I tried to represent. And, and it goes back to, again, going back to my mom, the values I was brought up with and, and, you know, don't leave people behind. Don't let that kid sit at the lunch table by himself, that kind of mentality. And you're exactly right because it can be kind of intimidating getting started in this hobby or getting started like making YouTube content or commenting in the videos or, or going under the Hoffman forums or wherever, because you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's been paramount to make sure that we bring people along. Surface noise is a great example because originally that concept, I was trying to put something together for other people, but I was kind of like the, the common thread of certain people who we have on pretty regularly. And then they asked me, Hey, would you mind like, you know, running point. Like, sure. And I only thought that was going to be like a couple weeks. I was actually looking for somebody to run point because I had everything else going on. And then I had such a good time with those core guys that then it became, you know, like, okay, yeah, let's do this again. And it just kind of started building from there. But also kind of what you're talking about is we're kind of building an audience. And it's a lot of folks that I've been fortunate enough to befriend for the community from different walks of life, different places, different parts of the world. 
and they feel again like you hit on it earlier. It's like I just want to have fun. Like once it stops being fun, like what's the point? And you know, you want to we want to talk about issues of the day uh, and collecting records or the, the the news or MoFi Gate or what have you, right? I think that's important. But then we also kind of and it kind of evolved into that freestyle part of the show that we talk about anything and everything. And sometimes it gets a little hairy as you've seen, <laughs> so, but, but I also try to purposely, you know, like talking about our, our, our hosting software, you have like six seats. And so I, I found that originally it was going to be four, then we picked up a fifth and we were pretty consistent, but I always like to keep that sixth seat, particularly on what we put on the podcast at first, the first part of it, because I always wanted to keep that extra seat to kind of mix up, the energy and to also bring other people into the conversation that maybe subject matter experts that us other five or us other four are not really adept to really leaning into. And then, yeah, now lately, especially the freestyle part, you know, I try to be, I felt bad because there are people who were like backstage. I throw out the link, Hey, join us. And then all of them, there's like six people backstage, but I only have seats for two. So then you're doing like a Sophie's Choice thing if it's like, you know what I mean? So then it became uncomfortable and I didn't want to do that. And that was one of the reasons I kind of invested in getting the next package was not that I just wanted like a free for all, but I didn't want to like leave people behind. I felt terrible. There's one guy, his name, his channel is Record Hound. He's Darren. He's in Canada. And we were talking about comedy records. And he's like, oh, I've got so many. Com- I could see him in the gallery. I've got so many comedy records. He was really excited about the topic. And so I threw out the link and I didn't see him backstage. And next thing I knew, I looked and I, the first person I saw was Norman Maslow. And so I, 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 I threw him up and then we were full. And then I saw Darren back there and I felt terrible because I'm like, oh, I knew the guy was passionate about it. And I felt absolutely terrible. But then it's like, does anybody want to jump off? You know what I mean? It's <laughs> a long winded way of saying, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's been important from the jump to bring people along. And there's people who, you know, like maybe their musical tastes aren't my thing. And that's okay. Because I think what you want to do is create a space that there are times I'm quiet. There are times other people are quiet. And that's, and that's something I've kind of learned and talking about building the skill set and, and learning the different skills is running that show. It's, it's like a team. Like I grew up playing team sports. You got to be able to pass the ball. And sometimes some people are really great. Our friend Jose really loves taking a lot of jump shots, but sometimes you got to take the ball out of Jose's hands and dribble, dribble, and pass it to somebody else who's maybe a natural introvert. You know what I mean? And 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 it's not that Jose is like trying to hog the time, but you know you got to balance that out. And and I think hopefully we do a good job for the audience because that's what I want to do is I want to have fun. I want it to be informative. But again, no, well, it's it, it's a real skill, and it speaks a lot to. I don't want to embarrass you, but it speaks a lot to your character to be able to lay out and know when to let other people jump in the spotlight and just to provide that forum for them. To be able to do that, because that's one thing I notice. It just feels like people are very comfortable coming on there and just being able to be themselves. It it gives them almost a playground to be able to be passionate about what they love and to be able to express themselves to your audience and their audience. Um, What does it mean to you to have such a dedicated circle of collaborators and collaborators and fans? I mean, that's got to be a great feeling. 100%. Yeah, it's honestly, it's been the best part of the, the whole journey is that, you know, been watching YouTube and, and vinyl community contributors for years. Been watching Norm Maslow and Melinda Murphy and my friend Brandon, Mr. Hall of Fame, and all these folks for years. And to not only get to know them personally, interact with them directly, uh, but also learn from them. Because like when I went to Seattle and, and Mazzy was like, hey, do you want to come by the house? 
cool. I get to go to Mazzy's house and like do whack-a-mole. Great. Uh, but just, you know, just being around them and learning different things and learning about them, getting to know people because, you know, speaking about podcasts, uh, you know, a few months ago, there was this podcast that I, I just kind of stumbled across. And I think it's pretty telling, particularly of, of folks of our age and, you know, a little bit younger, a little bit older. But the older you get, it does kind of get harder to make new friends. It really does. And usually friendships are born out of uh, proximity or uh, commonality or availability. And you, know, you can kind of control some of that, but availability gets tough. You know, you got work, you got family, you got uh, all kinds of things that pull you in different directions. But I think what's really great about this community is that for the most part, folks really lean into uh, being helpful with their information, being helpful with their channel, being helpful with uh, the size of their audience. You know what I mean? Like Mazzy was very clicked. Like, oh yeah, let's, let's, let's throw this up on, you know, X and let's, let, this is how we do a video. And it's very complimentary about my channel and all that stuff. And, and spoiler alert, I know Mazzy doesn't watch all my videos. It's a okay. It's a okay. Because when you first start, I, I will say this, when you first start, when you go from the other, when you go to the other side of the camera, there's a lot of trepidation, especially because you start with zero viewers. Actually, you start with a little bit more of your family, you know, Hey, watch this. You know what I mean? Yourself. But then as you start, like you said, organically, and you start kind of, I wouldn't say networking, but just putting yourself out there because I would never commented on any videos back in the day. Never, never. Even if I liked them, I'd, I'd do a thumbs up, but I just didn't do it. It wasn't my move. But now I've kind of been forced to make those connection points. And I think it's been very valuable because that is what kind of keeps me doing it. And I'm not, I'm not going to become independently wealthy from YouTube. I'm probably not going to become independently wealthy from the podcast. Spoiler alert. And in fact, we're in the red because it does cost money to kind of do some of the, some of the, the background stuff. And that's fine. I actually enjoy it. But what the payoff is, is going to the record show in Chicago next week and knowing I'm going to run into some people going to Austin and organizing a lot of us to get together and have a great lunch and great dinner. And, and, uh, and even, even today, and, and again, I don't, I'm not taking credit for like VC meetups. That's not what this is about. It's more of just, I, that's what I've tried to lean in and try to bring value to is like, Hey, we're cool. One thing we have in common records. Another thing we have in common love of music. Another thing we have in common availability. Sometimes put all those together and it's just a good time. And I think that there are people who are probably naturally reserved that feel more confident as company. There are several people I know who have started channels in the last couple of years and they've kind of reached out to me for feedback and I'm love giving feedback. It's not like I tell them what to do. It's just, have you thought about doing this or Hey, when I was starting, I did this, but it's a big mistake. Maybe you should try this. So share then becoming the, the, the share of information I think is important, you know what I mean? Like mentorship, not even mentorship, that's not, that's the wrong word, but just sharing what you've known and learned and experienced with other people. So then they can have a more positive experience. Like it's invaluable. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there that, that would love to have that. You're actually doing it, which is, which is really commendable. So I, I love what you said too about, um, you know, not being someone that would comment early on. And that sort of changed maybe once you started, once you got on YouTube and started getting some experience. I saw a really great YouTube short one time, like a year ago, um, where a guy was saying, everyone should start a YouTube channel. It will teach you so much about yourself. Sure. And that's been something that sort of stuck with me um, here on my journey on YouTube and just the way that I've learned to kind of conduct myself um, in the public eye a little bit, if you want to say that, and and how to, to navigate your comment section and things like that. Um, 
What have you learned about yourself in the last year or two since starting your channel and your podcast? Yeah, great. Man, he hit me with the great questions. I'm waiting for these softball questions, but these are ones that I've uh, no, uh, honestly, it's 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 important because you know going back to that continuous improvement thing. Um, one thing I knew about myself, but I had to be reminding myself is I'm very competitive, and you know you have to kind of level set and have realistic expectations because if you start comparing yourself to other channels, even other channels that start about the same time as you, and you start looking at the view counts or the sub counts or all that stuff, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because at the end of the day, like to me, it keeps me grounded is the people I'm getting to know and have real relationships with, like I couldn't even tell you how many people are on my phone now of people I've met through the community and exchange, I wouldn't say regularly, but I exchange sometimes with them and, and that sort of thing. And that's, that's the best part for me. But I think that uh, in terms of learning, what I've learned about myself is that, you know, always been this way. I've always been a perfectionist by nature. And so if I put out a video and I missed an edit and somebody like gently is like, Hey, I think you missed an edit here. It's, I almost stop what I'm doing. I gotta go fix it. Not that that's healthy, but that's who I am. Uh, same thing when, when you're getting feedback and, you know, for the most part, knock on, you know, engineered wood, the community has been very positive about what I'm trying to do and what I have done and the content I've put out. There are some people who have given me constructive criticism. And that's something from a personal level, I've always tried to like be cognizant of them and take it not as an attack, but as a, you know, a way to get better. And then the other piece of it, obviously, there's negativity. And it doesn't matter where you go or what you do or if you're in a message board or if you're on YouTube or TikTok or what have you. Some people aren't going to like you. And it's not because of anything you did. Sometimes it is. But even if, even if you, you're squeaky clean, some people just aren't going to like you. And that was probably one of the biggest learnings because I didn't understand. I didn't feel like I was being negative or even if I made a mistake. Because I think people make mistakes in their videos. Newsflash. It happens. And I think, you know, there's a difference between being constructive and then being critical. And unfortunately, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, Jason, is that sometimes you hear from these people. And those people sometimes are the loudest, even though they're the, the minority. is the people who don't like you don't like the way you cut your beard or your hair that day or uh, the topic or whatever. And, and I'm always reminded of this is, this is free. As far as I know, YouTube is free podcast. So you're welcome to, to move on down. But then we get back to, you know, talking about connectivity. I talked to Robert fifth and has a great channel. We talked about trolls and, and Robert has worked in the broadcast industry pretty much all of his career. And he had shared with me like, hey, we did a focus group about trolls. And if you ever want to talk about it on the pod, we can. Robert was one of the first people I reached out to about being part of the project. And it's like, yeah, sure. And, you know, the focus group, they interviewed these people. They're like, why do you call into the show or leave stuff on the website to be negative? And a lot of the times there wasn't a definitive answer. It was more of, I don't know. And that was kind of, they, they were dumbstruck by that. Like literally they brought, people came in or they answered the phone call or however they took the focus group information and they answered a question, I don't know. And then they started peeling that back and it became, I just wanted somebody to answer me. And I, the only way I could get an answer was to be negative. They had that answer of, I don't know. It was pretty telling. And then you kind of thought the follow questions he shared were, it kind of led down this path of these people wanted a connection that was established but they weren't going about it in a positive way. So the only way that they knew would get an actual response from the station, from the DJs, from the website, people, whoever was they were negative. And they do the personal thing. And it's, 
that was something over the course of doing uh, the podcast that really was telling because once I understood that, I can't relate to it, but I understood it and knew it was a thing. Then it helped me process when the people would come at me to be able to be like, you know what, like they just want their own sense of community. And, you know, and I'm not going to get into kill them with kindness. I mean, there's some people that, you know, just, just don't like you. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a word salad of saying that, you know, to, to be able to process the highs and the lows, the good feedback with the bad, and then also don't lose any sleep over it because it's the internet and, and it's YouTube and it's the podcast and, you know, the things that are important like your family and your health and your, you know, the things that in your immediate orbit, this can be part, this can be a piece of that puzzle. But I think sometimes it's, it's easy to kind of like be so hyper-focused on some of this stuff that you kind of, I hate to say it, maybe put a backseat to your real friends, you know what I mean? In your real life, because for me, I've made so many new friends, which is great. I have to remember to balance that and be like, Hey, I haven't talked to so-and-so in a long time, but yet so-and-so in the vinyl community is telling me about a, a, a new Van Halen box set. You know what I mean? So um, it's been, that's been kind of interesting too, is just to remember to like, you can have a foot in both worlds, but you know, it's, it's the internet and it's not always, I mean, again, meeting up with these people and it is, it's real people, real conversations, but the internet is now always a real world. That makes sense. Well, it's really interesting because I think a lot of what you'll hear from people, you know, if you ask someone like, what if social media went away tomorrow? And people would be like, yes, let it go away. It's nothing but toxic. And it's funny when you're on this side of it is that like, it's been a great opportunity, like you said, to connect, to create content, to be creative. Like there's all these great aspects to it. Um, It's just really, I found it's really about compartmentalizing those things and, and not letting it be an obstruction to your real life. Like you said, um, and that can really happen, I think, when you start getting that, say, negative feedback or people that are there just to kind of like vent their own frustrations on you. It can take you away from the things that are really important to you. You know, it's not it's not giving too much. For me, I got to a point pretty early on where I'd get some negativity and I could sniff it out pretty, pretty quickly. And you kind of... Um, look at it and say, is there a germ of something in this that I should actually respond to? And people can either, you know, uh, engage with you in a more respectful way, or they can double down at which point I'm just done. You know, I think about it a little bit, almost like, um, you know, if you get flipped off in traffic or something and just how that can impact, you get cut off and you get home and you kick the dog and you grumble to your girlfriend or your wife and you, you know, and it can, it can leave these traces in you that will impact the things that are actually important to you. And it's, it's hard sometimes because you're going to, it's going to sting no matter what, but it's just a matter of, okay, am I going to let this just sting for a few minutes and move on? Or is this going to become something that's going to, I'm going to go home and kick my dog for. And it's like, I, I really, it's just We're not, not worth kicking it. dogs. So we very clear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know you're not, but it's, and, but it is that kind of thing. You know, these things yeah. can kind of continue to resonate. They can sit in our heads and, you know, it can impact our day. And I'm sure that's what some, sometimes that's what the intent is, you know, is to, is to get us somehow. Well, there, it's funny you say that because I may or may not be guilty of have made a couple of response videos to people who've come after me before. And they've only been shown it's a private audience, but it doesn't mean that I didn't want to put people on blast because I got to go back to that competitive piece. And, you know, I've never, with the exception of maybe once in this space and the YouTube experience, came cracking on somebody negatively directly. It's usually somebody comes at me and the first time, you know, it's like first time. Okay. Second time, same person. All right. What are you doing? 
But after a while, it's just human nature. You're like, all right, man, hey, what's your problem? Oh, wait. And, and, and I don't really care at that point because, you know, it's again, it's keyboard courage. It's I'm going to tell you I hate you because of the way you dress. I mean, I've been pe- uh, certain people have made fun of my appearance, have made fun of uh, me getting facts wrong, have made fun of my name, have made again, anything you can think of. And fortunately, I'm a little bit more established in my life that in my younger days that really would have worked on me. And so I can I can appreciate the younger folks and the bullying and all that online cyber stuff. But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. Is you have two two decisions, you can either onward and upward, or you can go down in the pig down in the mud with the pigs. And it's hard. It's hard because it's human nature. Because again, like I said, there's some videos that have been made that will never see the light of day. Because in that moment, I was like, I got you. You're gonna get it. But at the end of the day, it's like anything else. You know, like you write once you get it out of you, then you're like, okay. Level heads prevail. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it's not that, you know, obviously I think there are going to be some of your audience that is going to like a good fight, right? They're, they're going to want to see you respond and stuff like that. YouTube likes. I mean, social media, talking about social media in general is the things that it, it's the old news thing. If it bleeds, it leads. And it's true. Social media preys on conflict, consternation, uh, trifleness. And you see it, the big views or the, the big fights, even – I hate to say it, some of the, the, the content in the community that gets some of the biggest views are videos of fights, parodies, making fun of people, all that kind of stuff. And that's unfortunate. It's, that's usually not my move. But it's their channel and, and, and it's their prerogative to do it. It's, you know, that's people, and I don't know if this is going to be one of your questions, but, you know, if you have a responsibility for like getting involved in a lot of these interpersonal conflicts, and my answer is no, because unless somebody's being threatened with violence or some kind of racial slur or something that I really goes against my core values. There's people who I genuinely like two different people who just cannot stand each other in a community. And you feel like you're Switzerland because I like things about this person. And I like things about that person, but then talk about what I've learned. You have to learn that. Guess what? Just because I think they're both really good on their own, like in their own ways. I, I'm not, I'm not Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> And I can't, you know, it, it's just inter, it's just personal relationship. And that's just not here on YouTube and vinyl community and all that stuff. It's just in life. And that's unfortunate. But those are the things that, you know, again, while it's the Internet, it is life. And a lot of these kind of interpersonal conflicts and and toils and, and the trolling and all that stuff, it happens not just here. It happens in, in the real world, too. So good, bad or indifferent. That is definitely something I've learned. Well, I was going to ask you too, and this is actually a great segue into that is, um, is there something about the vinyl community that you'd want to change that you could influence? You know, I mean, is, is it this, or is there something else too, that you either make it better or remove something? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a good question. I think that, um, I wish there's not like a silver bullet. There's not something that, you know, I can give you like a straight answer and be like, if we did this, then the world would be peaches and honey. But I I think at the end of the day, and it's just for me, it's the way I try to choose to live my life is just be kind. It costs nothing to be nice to somebody. The only thing it costs to not try to tear somebody down or be negative or feed into that kind of mob mentality is it just takes a little bit of perspective to step back and, not be part of, you know, it, it, again, the, the mob mentality thing I've noticed 
because certain parts of the community are uh, really hell bent on uh, you know, us versus them. Like if you are supportive of these areas of the community and these content creators, then how can you say that you are like friends with us and want to support us? And I just think that's a bunch of hogwash. I hate to say it, especially there are people out there who have good, good feedback to share, but they can't do it in a way that is not negative or confrontational or whatever. And it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I just wish that the kindness piece would remember and remember like what brought us together, like music, vinyl, fellowship, all these things. And I would hope people before they are quick to respond or quick, quick to jump in with the way that they're feeling in the moment is this really kind of reflect because words do matter. And I think some words more matter more than others. There's people, unfortunately, that, <clears throat> you know, intent or inflection. And that's the thing. It's it's missing from just the, the message boards and the comment section. Well, especially the written word. It's so hard to get across. People can misread you so easily and just what your intent is. But I, I remember one thing that um, has stuck with me a long time, a good friend of mine, Mike Davis, who I, who I worked with years ago, taught me a lot about how to conduct myself in the business, in the, the world of business. And one of those things was like, sleep on it. If you're okay. feeling some kind of way about an email or a text that comes in. Mike was very just, smart. I, I've, I've, I've written emails that never got sent. I've made videos that will never see the light of day except for a select few. So I, I can totally appreciate that because again, getting it out, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way in the moment. Right. But there can be something wrong with what you do. It's like the Super Mario fireball, right? Like you got <laughs> it, but do you need to use it right then? Why don't you just put it in your pocket? And guess what? You can use it tomorrow if you want to. It'll still be there, but. Yep. Words of wisdom. Um, what do you hope people take away from your work in the vinyl community? Uh, I just honestly, I just, I, I hope it's a positive experience. In a couple different ways, I hope it's positive in that they've learned something. It's made their appreciation of the hobby better, their understanding of the hobby better, their experience in the hobby better. But I also hope it's been fun because, like I said earlier, if it's not fun, what's the point of doing it? And that's why, like one of the things talking about surface noise, I really, really, really tried to make sure because you know energy. And uh, chemistry is very important in a lot of this programming here, other podcasts, other genres, et cetera. And I think just as important as that is how you, how you take that and, and you share it with the audience. And I, have, I want the audience to feel like I'm glad I spent my 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever they're doing. I always say this in my videos that your time is your most valuable commodity because we don't know how much time we got. We only know in certain segments like, oh, hey, I can listen to this podcast or I can watch this video or I've got time to do this. So I really do appreciate people who do invest that commodity in what we're doing. But yeah, if, if we shut the podcast down tomorrow or I shut down my YouTube channel, because I've thought about it, I really have, because you know sometimes there are those moments where you're just like really grinding and you've got a lot of other challenges and you've got life things and personal things and family things and, and a lot of things. I'm like any other person. Like I'm like Drago. Like I bleed. He bleeds. He bleeds the same blood. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I, it just keeps me going because I know there will be a stopping point for this. I don't know when that is. And hopefully knock on synthetic wood again. Hopefully it's not for a while, but it will come at some point And I accept that. But I also want to make sure that what we do do while we do it 
is good for the community. It's good for the audience and it's positive and it's fun and that no one leaves our programming feeling worse than when they started it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I definitely see that. And I believe that. I mean, you can see that in the comment section. You can see that when people are reaching out to you on live streams and things like that. And sometimes I think about and how likely it is that this stuff might live on, you know, as it just kind of gets gobbled up by all the content on YouTube. But the reality is that people might find these videos in five years or 10 years. And it seems like you're definitely thoughtful in the way that you you know, put your content out there and that it's, it's, you know, in a way I don't want, I'm not saying, I don't mean timeless in the sense that it's not um, of the moment or trendy or whatnot, but it's just timeless in the sense that like the way you conduct yourself is in a way that I think people in five to 10 years are going to feel comfortable watching. And sometimes I think of that with my own work as well. You know, it's like, I sort of imagine someone 10 years from now kind of discovering this and like, will they enjoy it or will, or, you know, so. Well, I hope, I hope there's not a planet of the ape situation where decades <laughs> removed, you know, they find us in the forbidden zone and there's like a, a, a downloaded video of ours and they're like, look at these goofballs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, so as if you're not doing enough already, I still got to know what's new for you in 2024. Is there something new or different, something that's kind of on the back burner that you want to get to this year? Uh, you're talking about like related to the podcast? Yeah, related to podcast, whether it's, you know, maybe going, moving on to another platform or just adding something else thematic, yeah. to, you know, to one of the um, platforms that you're on now. No, I think, um, you know, technology is, is moving so fast. And admittedly, there are certain things that I'm playing catch up on. And you and I have talked privately about, you know, video, audio, those kind of things. And I really appreciate your your stewardship and, and teaching me stuff I didn't know. But coupled with that is like TikTok. I didn't really mess around with TikTok. And then I saw a video one day of somebody superimposed a scene from Step Brothers and something else. How did they do that? And so that's something I've kind of been exploring, not to say that's like a goal or anything of 2024, but just trying to get more caught up to speed because I'll never be uh, the days of, I understand this now that I'm actually old enough to understand this. I never understood coming up why my mom wasn't more hip to whatever movies, to current events, et cetera. There's only so much bandwidth in our lives <laughs> to, to spend going down these rabbit holes. Right. And I found that with technology because I, you know, again, I'm now that I'm living in it, I'm like, Oh yeah. I think I'm pretty hip to technology and all this. I don't even have a clue in a lot of respects. So like TikTok, um, you know, AI, right? Like AI is here. Uh, I've just recently started figuring out like a really interesting way to do social media friendly type of posts with my content. So, so just, just trying to make things that make the audience experience better, but also kind of expand that reach. I guess that's probably the, the, the way I'd answer that more than anything else is, I just want people to get out, hear about the podcast, hopefully find us, check it out, enjoy it, word of mouth, uh, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you, like I said at the beginning, when you start the, the, the content creation journey, not, there's basically nobody. And then to see it scale, it's really exciting. But, you know, you also want to like bring more people along for the ride. And it goes back to that exclusive piece, or inclusive piece, is that the more the merrier. There's room on the cart, there's room on the wagon. And, you know, the, the what's that saying? The, the, the tide of all ships rises the boats or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like the, the more the merrier because it only can make it better. And yeah, there's always going to be that 1% of 
people who are fuddy duddies and don't like it and all that stuff. But the sum of the community's parts is, is greater as the whole, as opposed to just those kind of bad apples. So I would say expanding the reach would be the main thing. And if it's through TikTok, if it's through these AI videos and so be it, but still trying to scratch the surface on what that looks like. Likewise, I know that there's only a finite size of people who are interested in learning about vinyl records or that type of content. So I, I, I have no kind of ill kind of worldview of thinking I'm going to be, you know, the, the Mr. Beast or one of these types, or even Dylan from Noble Records. He just had 100,000 subscribers. Will never happen on this channel. I'm okay with that. But I'm glad for him because he's a great guy and he's really taught a lot and he's, 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 just, he's a great follow, great for the community, all that kind of stuff. But just setting realistic expectations and also expanding that reach, I think you're probably what 2024 is going to be for me. I love it. I mean, I, I'm a big fan, man. I think I, sp I speak for myself. I speak for, I think, your whole community that um, I love what you've done so far. I'm super stoked to see what you do in 2024. And uh, it's been great connecting with you today on this, man. Uh, on behalf of myself and all your subscribers, just a sincere congratulations and continued success with Concert Buddy, uh, the YouTube channel, the Vinyl Community Podcast, man. No, I appreciate that. And likewise, like finding your channel last year again, and talking about what we were talking about before, just the people you get to meet and encounter on this journey. And you're one of them. Like your, your stuff was really well polished from Jump Street. And it's like, man, this is a guy I'd like to get to know better, know what how your mind works and also how to know what you're doing. Because clearly, and you said this earlier, like if you're going to undertake anything, you want to put your best foot forward. And also, even if that sometimes is stressful about the perfectionist piece of it, which I can relate to, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's evident that you put a lot of value and a lot of thought and a lot of work into what you do. So thank you. And, and thanks. This is the first time somebody's ever asked me these questions. As I told you, uh, building up to this, I'm terrible. I, I prefer no, to no, ask no, no. questions than to answer the questions. So I appreciate your patience in this process. Yeah, you did great, man. Um, thank you, my brother. Here's to a fantastic 2024. Let's do it. Let's own it. I'll, I'll see you, my friend. All right, buddy. Be good. Bye.